the Gospel according to Luke. This is 126. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man who was, whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And, in, and of His kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son... And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Lord, we thank you for your word. Make it sharp and quick to our souls this morning. May You speak a word into us. We all need to hear from You this morning. So Holy Spirit, speak to us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sometimes in your life, if you're anything like me, You just need a simple reminder. You know what you ought to be about, what you ought to be doing, but many times we find ourselves not doing that thing. And it just takes really a simple conversation, maybe a word of exhortation to someone, maybe an encouraging phrase or reading from the Scripture again to remind us and jog our memory on something that we already know all too well. You know... Something simple like Christopher coming to me and saying, Hey man, uh, when's the last time you had a date? When's the last time you spent time with your wife? Well, we all know that we should do those things. But how many of us actually do them? And sometimes we get off track. Just like my kids. They know they shouldn't destroy their room without cleaning it up. And yet, every day they seem to do it. And they must be reminded... Every single day, it seems, that simple thing of when you destroy something or throw it out, you got to clean it up. When I come to Advent and the coming of Jesus Christ, every single year it seems like 
a simple message and yet one that we often forget. And that is, how do we respond to God's coming? What is our response to His coming? We all know how we should respond, but sometimes we need that obvious, you know, Captain Obvious answer, as I like to call it. Something we know we ought to be about, but we, for whatever reason, have lost focus. And Christmas is a time, I'm telling you, where people lose focus. Where we lose focus. We get focused on the glitter and the glamour and the presents and this and that, and we lose the nativity scene. That's not very glamorous. That's not glittering. That's not running across the front page. We all ultimately respond to Jesus in some way. Even a non-response is a response. I often give the illustration of this. The The day, really, the afternoon that I proposed to Jessica to marry me. It was at my dad's church and we had set it all up and, you know, was going to surprise her. She had no clue. She thought I was in Mississippi at seminary, you know. And instead I was there. And so she walks in thinking she's just going to get a gift from my mother for her birthday. And instead the room clears and I'm the only one there. And I get down on one knee and I say, you know, Jessica... Actually, I said Pretty Lee because that was her nickname at the time. Um, I said, uh, will you marry me? Now, she didn't have to respond. I wasn't holding a gun to her head. I didn't even own a gun at that point. She could have said no. She could have said yes. Or she could have been silent. I thank the Lord she wasn't. She said yes and affirmed it. (laughs) I'd have been quite embarrassed had she not... Uh, and people that I find in life often act like they can just ignore the problem of Jesus. That we really don't have to deal with whether or not He really came from a virgin or is He God or not. I mean, I'm not really going to be held responsible if I don't answer that. But not answering is a response. I mean, it would have been a devastating response to me. Cricket. Cricket. Hmm. I mean, I can't stay down on my knee forever, you know. <laughs> Got to get up. I know what that means. No. Or not now. And I pray that for us, our response during Christmas, in particular during Christmas, is not one of, eh, that can wait. Or, I don't really understand that. So, I'm not going to, you know. Did she understand all of what she was getting herself into by saying yes? Absolutely not. (laughs) Is it nervous going into marriage? Yes. And rightly so. You have no clue what you're getting yourself into, really. Amen. (laughs) You don't. It's it's an absolute truth. (laughs) But you know what? It's the same way with God. We don't have to know everything as we begin to walk with Him. There can be questions that remain. Doubts that are over here to the side. Like I said last week, I, sometimes I still doubt whether or not Jessica actually likes me most of the time. You know. Um, I know she loves me, but does she actually like being around me most of the time? I don't know. You know, Most of the time, maybe. And what 
God affirms to us in such an amazing and humbling way in the Incarnation is that He not only loves us from a distance, but He likes being with us so much that He becomes one of us. I mean, thought of thoughts. That's the highest thought in human history is that God has become one of us. What greater thought is there? Not just to save us. Not just because He had to. But because He wanted to. Could He have waved a wand? Sure. He's God. But instead He came to personally save us in a body as a person. As you're sitting before me now. This is the mystery of the Incarnation. Of God in the flesh. That being what Incarnation means. Just like carnivorous flesh. Eating. He comes in the flesh. He doesn't just appear like He has before in some type of vision or as an angel. But now, He actually becomes a real human, which to be a real human, apparently you have to be conceived. Which is why Christians believe that at conception is when a person comes into existence. Because Jesus defines what it means to be a person, and He was conceived. It's not just arbitrary science. It's God that defines when a person is a person. This morning in chapters 1 and 2, which I'm sure you've read, and I would highly suggest to you that you, during Christmas, be reading this over and over again, chapters 1 and 2, in particular of Luke. Do you remember who Luke is? Luke is a companion of Paul. Luke is a doctor. Maybe we should address him as Dr. Luke when we talk about it, just to be proper. Not only that, Dr. Luke is very detailed, much like a physician would be, and you would want a physician to be. But he's also learned in Greek culture because guess what? He's not a Jew. He's actually a Greek. He's the only Gentile writer in the Bible. And he writes one-third of the New Testament. Now go figure. A Gentile. An outsider. Writing about God. Yahweh. Jesus. He writes Luke and he writes Acts. Two monumental pieces that if they were missing, we would miss so much about Jesus' early life here in 1 and 2. And then also the life of the church. Acts is the history of the early church. Or as some people like to call it, Acts of the Holy Spirit. The history of the Holy Spirit. And what you notice about Luke in reading these two chapters is that there is a focus even in the Gospel, unlike the other Gospels, on the Holy Spirit. (laughs) It's a beautiful thing, really, to correlate chapters 1 and 2 with Acts, but then also the rest of the Bible. Remember, the Holy Spirit only came upon certain people in the Old Testament. He was not given to everyone in the Old Testament. 
He was given to kings. He was given to prophets. He was given to judges. He was given in certain times of national disaster. But He was not given to everyone. But guess where Luke begins his story of Christ? He begins first by saying, look, I know there's other accounts of Jesus' life, but I'm going to do one because I've done the research myself. Kind of reminds me when I read this this morning of Christopher because he's known for his researching abilities when he's going to buy something. Well, Luke is detailed. He is melancholy. He is an engineer's mind. And he says at the beginning of his book, he says, look, I actually went out. I've read all the other accounts of Jesus that's out there. But I've went out myself and interviewed eyewitnesses. I've talked to Mary herself. I've talked to um, the disciples who actually were with Jesus more than anyone. And he says, now I am submitting this to Theophilus, who apparently was paying for this book to be written. Um, And he says, the reason I'm writing this is so that you can be sure of what you've been taught. So that's his whole purpose. And he begins by telling two stories. One of Elizabeth and Zechariah, who are John the Baptist's mom and dad. So they're old. He's a priest. And they've been praying for years and years for a baby. And we can't understand this in the West at all because we think babies are bad. I mean, we really do. Like, oh, you're pregnant? That's great. Oh, man, how many more are they going to have? We always add something to that. You know, we have birth control that is like God to most of us. Um, You know, and again, not not trying to just down birth control, but there's a reason why the Catholic Church forbids it. And you'd be great to think about why that is. Just contemplate it instead of just taking the advice of your friends. There are reasons. I'm not saying don't, but I'm just saying there are reasons. And don't just judge prematurely the Catholic Church and their strong position on life without without thinking through it first yourself. She was barren. And in the ancient world, to be barren, to be without child, was a curse. If you you couldn't produce a child, you were looked at as cursed. You were shunned. You weren't invited to parties. You were not looked at as a fruitful person. And this family was shunned. I mean, he's a priest, and yet they can't have a child. They prayed for many years. Nothing came of it. He goes into the temple one morning and an angel appears to him and tells him he's going to have a child. After all these years of praying, his response is crazy. He says, how is that possible? She's old and I'm old. And the angel says, why are you doubting? I came, I am Gabriel. Okay, number one, I'm Gabriel, okay? Do you know who Gabriel is? Because I think you do. You probably have memorized the entire Old Testament and you remember that Gabriel comes in very great and grand times. He gets the, the real good messages, so to speak. You know, when it, when it really needs to come down to something good, he's the one that's given the task. You know? He says, first of all, I'm Gabriel. Secondly, I'm in the very presence of God Himself and have been sent by God as His messenger. And you're going to question what I bring to you? Be quiet until John the Baptist is born. In other words, the solution to doubt sometimes is just to be quiet. Sometimes when we don't understand something, we just need to keep our mouth shut, don't we? Don't you find that principle in life? 
I do. Oh, I remember asking my dad something one time and embarrassing him and everybody else because it was some kind of feminine thing. And I was asking out loud as a child, you know, what is this? Why, I don't understand why you won't tell me, you know. Well, you know what? Sometimes when you don't understand something, just be quiet. That's the best thing to do is just be quiet. Don't fall one way or the other. Just wait. And so the solution that Gabriel gives to Zechariah is, you're not going to be able to speak until your son is born. And the first thing you're going to say is John the Baptist. You know, <laughs> is John his name. Not Zechariah, who everybody wants you to call him, but John. And that's exactly what happens. He is unable to speak until John is born. And when he's born, that's his first words. Is, this is John. His name is John. And he's able to speak finally. In our life, when we doubt... Even things of God, such as the incarnate. I mean, how could this be? How could God become one of... How, how, virginal birth. How could these things... Sometimes we just need to be silent before the Lord and do like Mary did and ponder these things in our heart. Maybe we don't understand them. Maybe we'll never understand them. But we ponder and trust God in silence. Sometimes I don't understand Jessica. Maybe most of the time I don't. But you know what? That, that's not a bad thing. She's a person. People are inexhaustible. I can't understand you fully and you can't understand me fully. Don't expect to. That's why psychology, sociology, these types of humanities studies are not sciences. They don't happen in the science building because it's not a science. We never can understand one another fully. But that's not a reason not to have relationships. It's not a reason not to trust somebody. It's not a reason for her... <clears throat> Not to say yes. You have a second response here. Well, really, maybe a third if you look at Gabriel. Because Gabriel's response is to do the will of God, obviously. And wouldn't you think it'd be odd for him? I mean, as an angel, he is a spirit. He doesn't have a body. He has no clue what it means to have a body. He's pure spirit. And yet... His message is that now God, who He's known all of His existence, who has given Him His life, is now about to become one of these creatures that He's made? He's going to take on, God is going to take on a body? That's the message. I mean, I wonder if Gabriel on his way, you know, as he's fluttering down, is not thinking to himself, what is God up to? You know. I wonder if he paused before he ever gave the message thinking, I, don't, I mean, I don't know about this. How is she going to take this? And notice her response. Her response is not, how in the world is this going to happen? But instead, what's the next step? How is it going to happen? You can tell it's not a response of doubt. They both say how. Both of them do. But Zachariah's is one of doubt. How is this going to happen? I know I've been praying for it, but how is it going to happen? And hers is one of, hey, how's this going to happen? What's next? What do I need to do next? It's one of submission. You know, it's interesting that uh, Jesus is the only one in the world, in human history, who's ever been able to choose His mother. Everybody else just gets assigned one. God chose Mary. Why? Because she found favor with God. 
Out of all the people in the world, she was chosen. Which is why on our icon, she's right beside the child, the Christ child. He gets his body from her, his blood from her. There's no male involved. Which is why everybody else but Protestants protect Mary and hold her to high esteem and Protestants never talk about her. She represents what we all should be doing with Christ and that is submitting to His will. Being humbled by what He's done. As you already know, there's a special relationship between a mother and a child. She was shunned, not because she was barren, but because she was still a virgin and yet with child. And who would have believed that? No one. And of all things, then to claim that the Holy Spirit was the person who did this, made this happen, conceived by the Holy Spirit, is another ludicrous statement for her. I mean, who would believe that? And yet, even in the face of all that, who would believe that kind of stuff? She still submits to God's will. You then have Mary and Elizabeth who meet briefly here in chapter 1. And it's a fascinating thing that happens. They're both in the womb, Jesus and John. And John is said to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. He's the only person in the world that's been filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. Inside, he was already filled with the... And when they get into the same room... And again, this backs up the idea that a person is a person even in the womb, is that Jesus and John know each other and John leaps with joy within her womb and then all of a sudden Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit and prophesies immediately about who, Mary, you are blessed among women. Wow, you are... There's nobody else, there's not another woman like you. For you are the mother of my Lord. You could think of it this way. In time, in space, the Son of God and the Spirit of God meet together in one room. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? Filled with the Holy Spirit, John, as the Son of God, Jesus, both in the womb. It's a powerful scene. And then Mary gives her song, and then John is born, Zechariah gives his song, and then Christ is born. And of course, the angels come, and then he's presented in the temple. Let me ask you this morning. What is your response to Jesus' coming? Is it one of doubt this season? Maybe it is. Maybe things have happened and you're at a place of doubt. And that's okay. God is not mad about doubt. 
Doubt can a lot of times lead to faith or trust. Before I married Jessica, I had to do some serious soul searching. I doubt it. But it brought me to a place where I knew I could trust her with my life. And when I knew that, I never looked back. Can you trust Jesus with your life? Not just with the spiritual side of things. With your body. Can you trust Him? Can you trust Him with your anger? Can you trust Him with your bitterness? With your unforgiveness? Can you trust Him with your loneliness and anxiety? Can you trust Him with your fears? That's where we're told to trust Him. Not in things that are going good for us. People that have told me before, oh yeah, we've been married 20 years and never had a fight. Well, you don't talk to each other then. That's what that tells me. Anybody that can claim that hasn't lived with someone You only know you really love somebody when you go through very difficult times and are still able to love them. You only know you love Jesus when you're able to give Him things that you don't want to give Him. But you choose to anyway because you really do trust Him. That's what I'm asking you this morning. Can you really trust Jesus? Do you really trust Him this morning with those things that you really don't want to give Him? Maybe you just need to be silent, as Zechariah had to be. Maybe this Christmas you just need to be quiet before the Lord. Steal your life. Close the door to the hustle and bustle of Christmas time and be silent before God. Maybe that's the solution for you. Or maybe your response needs to be that of Mary's, who submitted to the will of God, even though it meant she was going to be looked at as different. Maybe at work, for you to witness to a person would jeopardize something, maybe your reputation or whatever. Are you willing to submit to that anyway? Even if people think you're non-scientific. We all will respond this Christmas to God, whether it's ignoring Him, whether it's never seeing Him, or whether it's full submission. And I pray this morning as He has come to warm our hearts, even though our bodies are cold, He's come to warm our hearts this morning. Will you draw close to His fire? He is an all-consuming fire. He's asking all of you to trust Him, not just parts of you. And He promises to refine us, to make us what we really were created to be. That's the good news this morning. We can respond to God and He can come through for us. He's already said yes. He's already down on His knee. Now it's time for us to say yes to His will. Let's all stand as we respond to God this morning.